Good morning, Oasis. Isn't it amazing? It's through the power of Jesus. Is there any chain that can't be broken? There's no chain that can't be broken through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, just come before your holy throne. All of us do, Lord, and we just uh, we thank you for this gathering today in your house. And Lord, uh, we also praise you for just a wonderful Sunday last week of baptisms of those who made a public profession of the, the reality of the transformed life that you've given them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, Lord, now we pray as we open up your living and errant word, that it, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it would have its way with us by the power of the Spirit. And Father, I do too pray for anyone that is here today that does not know you, that you would convict them by the Spirit through your word and that they would be saved. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it is in your precious name we pray. Amen. So we've been out of Romans for a few weeks, three weeks, so we have to kind of, I have to re-engage you a little bit here and just review a little bit to bring you back into the text where we were. It's a very heavy text, so we're going to take our time and review a few things here and then get into some new, uh, some new scripture that we have not studied yet. So first, uh, Romans seven fourteen through 25, just want to give you a brief review of that. You know, the difficult thing for me is that what I'd rather do is all of us go on a retreat for a week where we could study Romans six to eight hours a day because there's a continuity we miss when we break it up. We get little pieces week by week, and it's hard really to see the flow unless you're reading along with me every week and studying the, the chapters that we're looking at. But there's a flow, and I just want to get us back into the flow um, that we were in before. So seven fourteen through 25, you remember this, uh, this, this great text? We see right in the beginning, he starts off in verse 14, he says the word, is, the word of God is spiritual. We talked that the Word of God is supernatural. It's lit, the living Word of God. It's active, sharper than a two-edged sword. It teaches, rebukes, corrects, trains in righteousness. And, and the Word comes to us, reveals to believers who God is, what He desires, who we are, and how we should live. But here's the problem here, as you see where he goes next with that, is this living Word of God by the power of Holy Spirit comes to us and it meets our flesh. That unredeemed part of us, right? And that, that's the battle Paul was talking about here in, in Romans seven fourteen through 25. There's this battle going on. And, and do, let me ask you this. Is there any, a time, any time in your life where you say something, think something, or do something that you regret? Yeah. Daily, I heard, right? So, but, so that, that's the reality is that as born-again believers, this this life we desire to live. It's deep inside of us as we come to the world. We want to live this righteous life. But every now and then what happens is we do something that we shouldn't do. We sin against God. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Let me ask you this another way too. For some of you, maybe it's not as much that, but there's times where you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit that you should be doing something, you should be saying something. And you don't do it. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I talked, we talked about here in this life, this, this battle that goes on with us is really, to me, the battle of sanctification. Right? It's becoming sanctified. Salvation happens at a moment. Sanctification happens over time. And I remember I talked to you about the continuum of life. Everybody remember this? 
So the continuum of life, and really, see, I, the reason I talked about this is because a lot of people use this scripture to justify their own sinfulness. They say, well, look at Paul. But I challenge you with this. Really, Paul, do you think Paul was really into some heavy besetting sin patterns in his life? You've got to believe as you read the scriptures that really what was going on is he was just he was convicted of the fact that he wasn't always as faithful. He wasn't always living as righteous as God would have him. He wasn't always witnessing to the lost. He wasn't always discipling men. Sometimes he probably just checked out and had those selfish moments. I think that's what Paul was battling with as you look at his character through, through the, the uh, New Testament. So, but there's this continuum that we all must go on. We all, and, and, and you know, it, it, is a, it is a trail like this, but there should be a process that you see in your life as you look back that you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. And, and I told this church many times, God's a crockpot God, so don't be expecting things to be happening in weeks or days or months. I always say, I, when someone comes to me, hey, did you see what's going on with this brother or sister? I said, give them five years. Give them five years sitting under the Word and being in Bible study. And, and just let's look back in five years from now to see how that brother or sister is maturing. It's a slow process. So that's the continuum. The other great truth from this text that I just have to remind you of is it says here that whenever we desire to good, evil lies close at hand. You, that, it's important we realize that, isn't it? See, because, you know, let me, let me give it to you this way, that the devil hates when you were saved. He hated the fact that you were, nothing he could do about it, but there was a moment in your life, I pray for each of you, that you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you were born again. And the devil hated that day because he lost one of his slaves and you became a slave to Jesus Christ. But here's something else. What he really hates, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't mind as much if you're saved and you sit on the bench because you're not making any impact for the kingdom. But if you, like what it says here, when you start to engage to do good, if you start to engage in living that righteous life, it says right here, evil lies there ready to take you out. It doesn't like that. The devil and the demons don't like when you start engaging for righteousness. So it's right there, but here's the good thing. If you know that, right, you can be what? You can be ready. Don't be surprised if, he starts, if you start witnessing to coworkers or talking to people, your neighbors, and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you're probably going to face some persecution, but if you're ready for it, you can, take, you can take it to God and deal with it. And the last point from this message was this, when Paul gets done saying all this stuff, what does he say? He says, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. As he reviews all these truths, he says, wretched man that I am. But he also says, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just one other truth about this I wanted to share with you is that, you know, the, the reality is why would Paul say something like that? One of the most godly men uh, that ever lived would be Paul. I think we'd all agree with that, wouldn't we? So why would he say what a wretched man I am? Here's an amazing truth. is the longer you walk with Jesus and, and the more sanctified you are on that continuum, here's the other truth the more clearly you see who Jesus is. You see, and, and, what, and it's, it's all good, but you begin, see, you, Paul, remember I told you, Paul said, I'm the least of the apostles. A little Five years later, he said, I'm the least of the saints. And about five years later, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. Because, see, as you grow in the continuum, the more clearly you see who Jesus is. And the more clearly you see who Jesus is, the more you realize how depraved you are and how much more work there is to do. But it's good. It's, it's encouraging. You see how wonderful he is, how loving he is, how kind he is, how patient he is. And when you see how good and patient, loving and kind he is, you more clearly see your own sinfulness. 
And that's why Paul would say something like, what a wretched man I am. I pray you're there. Because the longer we walk, for, with, longer we walk with Jesus, the more humble we should all be coming. Amen? Yeah, amen. more grateful we should be coming. Okay, that was five weeks ago. Okay, we've got that down, right? Everybody with me on that? And then we got to this text uh, four weeks ago. And they, it's a flow here, so stay with me. It's, it's all good. It's going to all tie together. So after he gets done teaching us this truth, he goes into these great truths in chapter 8. And the first thing he says is, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, brothers and sisters, hear this. See this battle Paul just got done describing in our lives. I'm telling you what the devil wants to do is when you do sin against God, the devil, when he says evil's lying right there, what he wants to do is say, you are condemned. You're not really a Christian. Give it up. Don't, don't think you're one of the family of God. He wants to come in, and Paul knows that through the living word of God, the Holy Spirit wrote this and says, look it, here's the reality. This battle's going to take place in your life, the flesh against the Spirit, but realize this all the time, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't ever be fooled and deceived that you're condemned when you fall into sin. So he says there's no condemnation. That's our new position. So I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters, you're, you're going to sin. I sin. But when we do sin, we confess and repent immediately and get right back in the game. And don't go down that trail of self-pity and despair and discouragement that the devil wants to lead you on because he just wants to take you out of the game for as long as he can. So the first truth, he says there's no condemnation. That's our new position. And he says not only that, he goes, look at this new power you have. See verse 2? No, I guess you can't. Now you can. It says, for, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He says, so, so not only is this a new position, you're, you're an adopted member of God's family. You're in the arms of Jesus Christ. No one's ever going to take you. No, Jesus says, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There is no condemnation. He says, but not only that, he goes, I've given you the power of God himself by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within you. And he says, now here, here's the thing. Remember this? Now, does, does that mean that we will not be tempted to sin? No. But it means that now we have the power to resist the devil so he will flee. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. It empowers us to be victorious over the sinful temptations in our life. And also, we know that now, as born-again believers, we will never face the penalty for our own sin. That was taken up by Jesus Christ on the cross. So do you see how that empowers you? The freedom that comes from the reality that we don't have to face condemnation, the penalty for our own sin, and that we have the power of the Holy Spirit that we can resist temptation and live the righteous life God called us to. That's really good news. And then the third point he says here, he says he reminds us of this great truth. Verse 3 says, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. See, we were, hear me, brothers and sisters, we were helpless. There's no way we can earn our own salvation. There's no way we can work our way out of this mess. There's no way we can pay for our own sins. It can only be done, it says here in the second part of this, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. This new position, this new power, was not purchased by our own righteous acts or our own traditions or anything else you can come up with. It came from Jesus Christ. By Him coming, living the perfect life, dying the perfect death. 
And as you entrusted him as your own Lord and Savior, the great exchange we talked about at the baptism, at that moment he took the condemnation for our sins and he put within us his righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. We were declared righteousness in God. Does that sound fair? Doesn't sound fair. It's not fair. We deserve death and eternal punishment, but he's given us life and an abundant life and an eternal life for those who believe. So that's, and the last thing, this ties into our text for today. This is the verse we ended up with uh, four weeks ago, which was verse four. It says, in order that the righteous life, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. See, I, it could be, I could say this this way. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ because Jesus came and paid the price so that we can now live a new life and walk in the righteousness that God called us to live. Do you see that? The flow of the text? It's very logical. And with that, if you'd open your Bibles, we'll pick up with verse 5 today. Our brother Jimmy's going to open the text for us. Please stand as we read God's Word. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. A blessing for the reading of the Lord's Word. Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. Appreciate that, brother. So you ready for some more truth? All right. Amen, brother. You all got a handout, right? You got the Holy Spirit bookmark. We're the church of the bookmarks, we decided today. This is our third in a series of bookmarks we've handed out to help you all. Uh, one was by Mr. Thrasher in the Bible, the significance of the Bible. Jim did one on examining ourselves. And this is one that Nolan did. Nolan did this a couple years ago, and now we've put it into a bookmark for you. Um, the reason I gave you the bookmark, I'll be referencing a little later, but I just want to tell you that we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit for a while. I mean, if you look at Romans, in the first seven chapters, the Holy Spirit was mentioned once. In the eighth chapter, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times. Kind of a significant theme within, this, in, within the chapter 8. So we'll be talking about it for the next few weeks. So I mean, if I, if I had to bring you back, just kind of, kind of get in your mind around why we're talking about this. So, so we've got this great battle going on between the flesh and the spirit within every believer, right? And, and we know that we have a new position, a new power, and a new purpose in our life to be living this righteous life. Well, what's the next logical question? How do we live this righteous life? that he's called us to. He said, now you will not walk by the flesh, but you'll walk by the Spirit. How do we do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. I'm also going to be talking about some truths out of the Bible, some of the commands, do not quench the Spirit, do not grieve the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. We'll talk about those as well as we work through the text. So let's start off with the first verse here, verse 5. 
it says here, for, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set the minds on the things of the Spirit. Now, I just have to get on to a truth we talk about frequently here. It's an important one. I, I review it frequently because it's one of the great deceptions of the devil. Is There's only two kinds of people in the world. Oasis family. Lost and saved. Let's hear it louder than that. Lost and saved. And here we see that there's those who live according to the flesh and live according to the spirit. The world wants to tell us there's all kinds of differences between us, right? I just got to talk about this for a minute. It's such an important truth. People like to say there's different races. There's, they want to discrim- discriminate people by different races of people. Races, does that exist in the Bible? No, Where, who are we all descendants from? Adam and Eve. Do you believe in Adam and Eve? Yeah, then we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. Now, there's many nations, not races. Races is a word used by the devil to create discrimination. The word in the Bible, the proper word is nations, which happened at the Tower of Babel. When the people rebelled, they were all one people at that point. When they rebelled and they were trying to build, become like God, he disseminated the people into many nations. That's where we got Asia and Africa and Europe and all the different nations. So there's only one race of people, the race that God created through Adam and Eve, but there's many nations of people. Do you believe that? It's important that you believe that. We can go back to the flood. I won't go through it all. Let me just show you a couple of verses to, to prove it to you here. Colossians 3.11 says what? Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but what? But Christ is in all and is in, in all. See, if you look at those words themselves, when he says Gentile or Jew, he's talking about there is no race. When he's talking about circumcised and uncircumcised, he's talking about superior saints. Barbarian would be a heathen, an uneducated person, versus a Scythian, which would be a very well-educated person. Slave would be someone that's poor. A free person would be someone that had wealth. He's saying there's no difference between all these people groups. One body. You know, it broke my heart. I think that's why the Spirit let it up, put it on my heart. But Ralph at Bible study was saying that he was raised to, to hate white people. And... Uh, He's overcome that now. He sees the lie that was there to kind of separate him from the body of believers. And Darnell told me the same thing early on in our walk. He said, I was raised that the devil was blue-eyed white people. Do you see that? How that breaks the body apart? The devil wants to divide. He wants to break up marriages. He wants to separate people by races. He wants to create all these different classes of rich and poor, well-educated and uneducated. And God says, stop it. You're one body. Created in my image. Look at this. Yeah, brother. My, hey, I love you, Ralph. I'm just glad we're one, man. That's... Thank you, brother. Look at this one here. I'm just going to make us another point about this and we'll get back to the text. But it says, then Peter, remember this with Peter out of the book of Acts? We, we studied this a few years ago. But it said, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts accepts people from every race. Is that what it says? No, it says nation, from every nation. The one who fears him and does what is right. I know many of your translation may use the word race, but I'm telling you it's not the right word. Now let me give you this just so you I want to get a visualization in your head about this and we'll move back to the text. Let's say 
I don't know, who's some real wealthy people? Let's say Oprah Winfrey or uh, Bill Gates. Yeah, I don't know who wealthy, but those, those people have a lot of money, right? So let's say they pull up here in their super-stretched limos, and they come out, and they're covered with jewelry and diamonds, right? And then in comes a dear brother or whatever from Hesed House who's homeless right now. Now, when you compare those people, you're going to think there's a great distance between them from a financial standpoint, won't you? So, wow. And I, you know what? We probably, you know, but you're, you'll be gooing and gone over the, the Oprah or the Bill Gates, and you probably won't be as much from the wayside brother, unfortunately. That's, that's the human sinful nature. But here's... The, Here's the reality, is what God's saying. So here's the equation. We've got this super wealthy Bill Gates, Oprah Winfrey, and we've got this, this brother or sister from, from Hesed House. Now bring God into the equation. Okay? You with me on this? So God comes into them. We're just talking about wealth at this point. How, how do those, the distance between Gates and, the, and the, uh, the Hesed House brother or sister, it seemed pretty great until God came into the picture, right? How wealthy is God? I put it this way, everybody is, here, you guys know what a financial investor is? So you go to someone and you give them your money and trust them to invest it for you. But at some point you say, hey listen, I need that money back. That's God. We're all just financial investors. Well, what do you take with you when you die? Nothing. So we're just financial investors here. Whatever you have, whether you have a little or a lot, you're a financial investor for God, right? Isn't that the, the parable of the talents? You, some got ten, some got two, some got... What, and he's going to say, what would you do with those resources I gave you? So reality is, Oprah may think she's wealthy, or Bill Gates may think they're wealthy, but they're, they're going to be held accountable for whatever they did with that. And we all leave here the same way we came in. But my point is, when God enters that picture, how wealthy do they look? He owns everything. He makes gold. He makes jewels. He made all that stuff. I mean, how, do you see how now the difference between them is very little compared to how great God is? Let me throw you another one. We got a Harvard-educated brother with four PhDs after his name, and we got someone that never finished high school. Again, right? Bring God in the picture. The creator of the universe, the one that sustains the universe, the one that wrote the DNA, the one that created everything that's on the earth, the one that made you and me. The difference between the Harvard PhD and the uneducated person becomes very small. And that's why God says, stop differentiating, look to me, right? You with me? All right. It's so important in our little church that we have this truth down. All right, back to the text. So we see here, we see that those living according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. I love that. She just got a little surgery done there. Had tubes put in her ears. Hope you guys, I know a lot of you are praying for Abigail. It's good that she's doing well. So, living according to the flesh, that their minds and things of the flesh. Let's talk about that for a minute. I guess let me ask you this. Does an unbeliever have a choice in that? Anybody that's not born again will set their minds on the flesh because that's the only world they live in. Right? They have to set their minds on the flesh because that's their reality. So their life is consumed with the physical world and all of its counterfeit entrapments. Right? 
I mean, I lived there for 30-some years of my life. I know, I pursued those things, and I thought that I was living the, the best life I possibly could, even though I was deceived. Some people say unbelievers are dumb and happy. I was deceived and lost. I wasn't dumb and happy. So the reality for an unbeliever, they have no choice. They have to set their minds on the flesh because that's the world they live in. But for a believer, can he choose to set his minds on the flesh? Yes, he can. And what does that look like? It's, it's really when you begin to focus all of your attention, time, talents, and treasures on things of the world. Now that could be carried out in a lot of different ways, brothers and sisters. That could be carried out in sexual Right? We'll talk about this when we get into Galatians, but we see it in sexual perversion. Their whole focus is on sex. Do you think that's prevalent in our culture today? Can you watch any even television without somehow having adultery, fornication, and homosexuality in almost every TV show? Yeah, it's, it's, it's prominent in our culture today. There's a huge focus on pornography and sex and all that within our culture. It could be drugs and alcohol, it could be food, it could be material possessions, it could be education, it could be your career, it could be your children, it could be revenge and unforgiveness, it could be anger, right? These can all be unhealthy focuses within your life, where they consume you. And, and the question really is, is if, if you set your minds on the flesh, you know, here's what happens, brothers and sisters. Is there anything wrong? I've got to clarify this because I know everybody gets, we tend to be black and white sometimes. Is there anything wrong with planning, preparing, furthering your education? Is there anything wrong with any of those things? No. Nothing wrong with that. But the, the, here's the deal. Is it controlling you or are you controlling it? Do You see, that's when it gets into idolatry. Is that when you are just driven beyond belief towards these goals and aspirations within your life, and they're controlling you. That's idolatry. And that's when you've set your flesh, set your mind and the flesh to a very unhealthy place. Nothing to do with the kingdom. And you really, in any of our goals and aspirations, what should we be doing? We should be praying and seeking God's guidance on them. You know, when I got done with seminary, I really had the desire in my heart to go on to graduate, to, not graduate school, I just finished graduate school, but to go on to get my Ph.D. from Trinity. That was a desire in my heart, but I held and prayed about it with God. Is there anything wrong with me getting my Ph.D. from Trinity? Probably is, but, <laughs> but the, the reality is that God said no. I, I waited and prayed, and then God called me to this work, and obviously that would make it impossible because I have no margin left to do those kind of things. But, so there's lots of things we can be doing that are good and healthy, but we have to be prayerful and careful so we don't set our minds on things that God doesn't want to set our minds on. That make sense? So Christians can set their minds on the flesh too, and it's always a process of self-examination to see if you're out of balance. And I can listen to this. I can assure you that each one of you and me has some mind parts of our mind set on something in the flesh. It's a constant battle of evaluating. The devil lets you go over here, and then he builds something over here, and then he lets go. You have to constantly be evaluating your life to see where you've set your mind on things of the flesh. Another thing I would just say is what really is, um, what permeates your thoughts? What permeates your dreams? What do you think about? Predominantly, what do you think about and dream about? Plans. 
Are they things of God or are they things of the flesh? Look here what it says here. Just some verses that you're familiar with. I know 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them, in him. Do you see that? Again, let me say it again. Is it controlling you or are you controlling it? Is it a servant or a master? Here it says here, but uh, Matthew uh, 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. You can't serve God in drugs. You can't serve God in sex. You can't serve God in entertainment. You can't serve God in anything else you want to put in there as a false idol. Career. Here's the verse that we should hang to. Matthew 6.33, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's, a, it's another one of those things that doesn't make sense logically, but as you put... God first, He will help you manage every other aspect of your life. Are we all right? Good? All right. Let's go to the other part of the equation here. This is really more important for our application. We do have to examine ourselves to see what parts we've set in the flesh, but what does it mean for those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on things of the Spirit? And it really, the best illustration is out of Scripture. I'm just going to use this Galatians uh, 5, 16 through 24 to help us understand this truth. If you look at your handout for a second, everybody got their little bookmarker? Did you get one, brother? I got one for you. You got an extra one. Here you go. All right. Who else needs one? Oh. Big Ed? So everybody look at your list while I'm handing these out. Thanks, Richard. You need one too? Okay. Everybody has one. This Again, this is what Nolan put together here. I love this. The first part of this, we kind of see who the Spirit is. Describes who he is in the sevenfold Spirit out of uh, Isaiah and Revelation. It says, the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of wisdom, Spirit of understanding, Spirit of counsel, spirit of might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of fear of the Lord. And then below that, we see the work of the Spirit. I would say some of the works of the Spirit. It says, He is the source of all truth. He is the author of Scripture. He is the convictor of sin. He is the provider of comfort. He is the provider of salvation. He gives boldness to witness. He gives grace to stand. He gives courage to follow. He gives hope to endure. He illuminates God's word. He prays for God's people. And he advances God's agenda in the world, in the country, in the church, in our homes, in our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So this first verse here in Galatians, you can open your Bible, so we're going to be here for a little while if you'd like. But the first verse is, but I... I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you look at the word walk by the Spirit, it's a, it's a, it's a progression, right? When you're walking, you're moving forward. You're not standing still. There's a, there's a forward movement when we walk. And that's the picture here of the Spirit. We're moving forward with the Holy Spirit. Now hear this. It's a discipline. 
It's something you have to put on. It's something you have to be to get up in the morning and get on the, get into the Word, and you have to be meditating on the Word, and you have to be praying for God's will, and you have to be alert and awake as you walk through this fallen world. So it's it's a it's a mindset of walking in the Spirit. Are you with me on this? If if you just get up in the morning and and jump jump out and out of your bed and head, start heading off your day you probably haven't taken the time to properly prepare for the day because this is a hard fallen world you have to stop put on the full armor of god start walking in the spirit being alert and awake to what's going on in the world where would god use me today is there divine appointments that i can speak into people's lives it's a constant meditation and thought in your head do you see that you can't just be walking around with an empty head or thinking about what i'm going to have for lunch you have to be constantly thinking about it's, it's, it's a discipline to be walking in the Spirit, to be meditating on God. That's what it means to be praying without ceasing, right? To meditate on the Word of God day and night. It's, it's an attitude of, of living by the Holy Spirit's power in your life. Are you getting this? You know, if there's any truth I see is lacking in a Christian's life, it is this truth. They don't walk by the Spirit. You have to live and walk by the Spirit. Being, every day God has divine appointments for you. He has a work for you to do every day. But most of the time, we're not punched in. And we miss them. So it's putting on the mind of Christ. It's praying without ceasing and walking each day alert and ready for God to use you. Does that make sense to you all? Now it says here, if you have that kind of a life where you walk by the Spirit, it says what? You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. See, what happens to most brothers and sisters is they walk out each day unarmed and unready and the world catches them by surprise, whether it's the demons using... What are our three enemies? You guys know this? The flesh. Of course, my family does it. But the flesh, that unredeemed part of us, Satan and the demons. Who said the world? Yeah, and Nate said the world, the world system. Because he's the prince of this world, so he's using the world system to attack us, right? So those are the three enemies. So if you haven't put yourself into the mindset of Christ and you haven't been walking in the Spirit, so your flesh is unchecked within you, and you walk out into the world, which He controls, obviously. Anybody doesn't see that, you're crazy. With the sinful patterns in our culture right now are just ramping up like crazy. So He's coming at you with the world system trying to get you to fall. And the demons and Satan are involved in all this. You know what happens? You get picked off. But the, the great news is that if you walk in the Spirit and you're ready for this, and here's the, here's the unbelievable truth in this, is it says He gives you wisdom, He illuminates the Scripture, He gives you comfort, He prays for you. When you walk into these temptation situations since you're walking in the Spirit, let me hear this, they're as clear as clear can be. He reveals the lie within the deception of the things of the world where you do not fall into those traps. See, but if I walk into situations, this is a tough truth to explain to you all, but if I walk into situations and all of a sudden somebody's coming up to me and say, hey, you really ought to try this, it's okay, and they're kind of working me, and I'm totally off guard, and I'm already weak because I'm not prepared, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm a little lamb that just gets picked off. But if I come and I've spent time with God in the morning and I've gotten into the Word and, I've, and I'm walking in the Spirit, when those people come to me, I say, it, it's almost like asking me to come play in a sandbox. I don't play in sandboxes anymore. Hopefully when I have grandkids, I'll go back to that. But right now, I don't, you know, if you said complain to sandbox, I'd say, are you kidding me? 
I don't play in the sandbox anymore. But you know what? Here's the sad thing is there's been days where I haven't been ready and someone says, come play in the sandbox, and I played in the sandbox. But when you're walking in the Spirit, I'm telling you, it is that simplistic. You will see clearly the deceptions of the evil one, and you won't fall into his traps. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Can you take some more here? Okay. Here's the other thing I want to tell you. That, let me ask you this. Can a Christian get up in the morning and live by the flesh? Can you do devotions in the flesh? Can you pray in the flesh? I'm helping you. Yes. Right? Can we worship in the flesh? Can we show up in church on Sunday and totally be in the flesh the whole service? Has anybody here done that? Okay, a few honest sinners here. I've done that too. Just preoccupied with self or whatever it is, but you, you just, you're in the flesh. You're really not in the Spirit. So here's the deal. That here's the Holy Spirit. What He wants to do is He wants to be your, He's my main discipler. Do you believe that? I have some other godly men in my life that, that still pour into me, my Paul's. But my main discipler throughout my life has been the Holy Spirit. See, so when I get up in the morning and I get into the Word of God, I'm letting the Holy Spirit have His way with me. Because only He knows what my day holds. I don't know what my day holds each day. But He knows what's coming. He knows who I'm going to talk to. He knows who I'm going to see. He knows my temptations. He knows my strengths. My He knows everything about me. He knows more about me than I do. So as I trust Him and I go to the Word, He prepares me for each single day. And I'm telling you, you'd probably think I'm charismatic if I told you how many times what He taught me, what He prepared me for, was exactly what I needed for that day. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. That's what happens if you're walking in the Spirit. And I, I'm sitting there. I just got to read the text, and I walk into somebody I'm a co-worker, and they bring up a problem. And I said, you're not going to believe it. I'm, I'm saying to myself, you're not going to believe this. That's exactly the Scripture God just gave me today. Let me share it with you. Right? Okay. I'm on some tangents here, but we're going to stay on a few more. Yeah. So the other thing is, now here, here I am walking through the day. Maybe I prepared, maybe I haven't. And all of a sudden, I'm convicted of some sin in my life. And when I sin, what do I do to the Holy Spirit? It says I do what? I quench, yes, I quench the Holy Spirit when I sin. I'm sorry, I, I gave that wrong. I grieve the Holy Spirit when I sin. It grieves Him. It's God. Holy and righteous God lives in you. Part of the Trinity lives within me. And when you and I sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. You with me? Now, if we continue in that sinful pattern... What comes next? We quench the Holy Spirit. So here's the deal. Picture this one. I'll pick one that's prominent in our culture. How about pornography? So here you are. The first time you come to the computer and you look at pornography, you're, if you're a believer, you're incredibly convicted. You're looking over your shoulder. You're, you're, you're worried. You're, you're, you know, you can't sleep at night. That's how you should be, by the way. If you're really a believer, you should be that convicted if you're looking at pornography. But what happens if you keep coming back to that computer every day? What happens? It, it, you, you quench the spirit. You're not as convicted, right? And pretty soon what happens? Sin is progressive. You start looking at other things on there maybe. You know what I'm saying? It just, it just continues further and further away. And we could talk about drinking. We could talk about eating. We could talk about all kinds of things that we do. Pride, career, money, physical shape. You know, we spend a lot of time in Colorado. They are... They love the environment. They don't love the Creator, but they love creation there. And my goodness, don't, 
you know, don't mess with their creation. But they're, they're, they're worshiping creation. So there's all kinds of ways this can get distorted in, in someone's life. Okay, the last one. There's only three commands in Scripture about the Spirit. The last one is to be filled with the Spirit. So do not, do not grieve the Spirit. That happens when we sin. But when we do grieve Him, immediately confess and repent. Otherwise, if you continue on that sinful pattern, you're going to quench Him and you won't hear from the Spirit anymore. You won't be able to hear him, His conviction in your life. And the third one says to be filled with the Spirit. Now what does that mean? So let me ask you this. When you were born again and saved, how much of the Holy Spirit did God give you? All of it. Thank you, Nolan. All of it. So when the Bible says to be filled with the Spirit, what's it talking about? That's right. Here's the problem. is We're either being transformed by the renewing of our minds or we're being conformed to the world. What happens to us, it isn't a Holy Spirit problem. It's that we fill ourselves up with self. So we've got to make more room for the Holy Spirit by getting rid of those selfishness, the sinful patterns to drive that out so that there's more, more room for the Spirit to live within us. You see that? And that's really the morning of preparing. That's what walking in the Spirit is, is examining yourself, confessing, repenting, putting on the full armor of God, and then walking in the Spirit throughout the whole day. Does that make sense? There's something else and I lost it, but that's... That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. Okay. We're doing good. Let's keep going. Dell, you good? All right, brother. Look at verse 17. That was just verse 16. I'll go through these other ones fairly quickly. But it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit you are not under the law. It's a beautiful life relationship, brothers and sisters, as you walk in the Spirit. Uh, it's a blessed life that you just could imagine. And it's not a legalistic life. It's a life of abundance. Verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Here's a list for you. Sexual immorality, as I mentioned, pretty prominent in our culture. Impurity. How about sensuality? Do you see our culture as being sensual? Idolatry, sorcery. By the way, sorcery is where we get the word pharmacia. It's mood-altering drugs is what that word really means. How about this problem? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Kind of define our culture? Yeah. Yeah, it does define our culture. A lot of people are walking around with hatred. That's really what enmity is. They're walking around with hatred in their heart towards others, family members. And that, 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 that uh, enmity, that hatred in their heart uh, is turned into uh, strife, which is outbursts or even physical outbursts of anger. How about jealousy in our culture? I just got to tell you, one of the the heartaches I see in the church is people don't truly rejoice with others when they're blessed by God. You know what I'm saying? When other people are blessed by God, can you rejoice or is your first thought, you know, why didn't I get that? Why isn't that happening to me? It could even be spiritual, right? Someone's really having a spiritual uh, journey led by God and, and you're like, hey, you know, what about me, God? Right? Jealousy is huge in the church. I, I see it everywhere. Very few people are joyful for other people's blessings. 
especially in our country with such abundance, we should be rejoicing with others. And it says here, those that continue to live in those patterns will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, for a believer, we should be having this battle against these things constantly in our life, and we should be having victory by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's saying that people that live in this type of lifestyle without any battle and continue to live in that lifestyle, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because they aren't saved. You okay with that? That's what the Bible says. Okay, let's go to the... Stay with me here. Let's go to the fruit of the Spirit here. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'll just spend a few more minutes on this. But. So here's, here's an unbelievable truth about the Word of God. So this love that it's talked about here is agape love. You all know agape, that's sacrificial love, right? And it's, it's, it's really, these are attitudes that we put on by the Holy Spirit as it, it transforms us. But here's what happens is that by the power of the Holy Spirit living within you, you can start sacrificial loving others. This is an emotional, when I said I love Ralph, it isn't that I want to cuddle up with him, it's because I want to serve Ralph. I want to help Ralph become the man of God he wants to be. That's agape love, and I have that for all of you. I want you to become all that God would want you to become for his kingdom. And I will sacrifice my life to help you do that. And I get no credit for that, and I don't want any credit for that because it is the Holy Spirit in me. It's not Keith. Keith wants nothing to do with that truth. It's the Holy Spirit living in me that I can agape, I can sacrificial love you all. This joy that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, this is a joy that transcends all understanding, just like the peace does, because it's a joy, first of all, that you realize in the depths of your soul that you're a child of God and that you're eternally destined to be in heaven. It, you know what I'm saying? That, that's a resolve in our souls that we're God's kids. And then here it is. Hear this now. And then you tie that in with the sovereignty of God. And then in all, as Jim teaches so well on Wednesday night, that in all circumstances we can be joyful. Because we know that God's allowing all these things to happen in our life for a reason. Even when we don't understand, we can be joyful. So you shouldn't be having up and down days. It should be a more consistent reality that God is in control of your life and he has, He's only good, He's only loving you, He's only leading you to where He wants to lead you and that, therefore we can be joyful in all circumstances. Amen. I'm, see, I'm seeing some tired faces here. Let me give you one more. Peace. Yeah, brother, I appreciate you. But peace. Uh, peace. It's, it's, a, it's a peace that comes over you that regardless of what's going on in your life, just like the joy. I'll get it. There's a peace that transcends all understanding as well, and it guards our lives in all kinds of trials and tribulations. And I can go over the rest of these. You can see them for yourself. That's a life lived by the Spirit. That's a life lived by walking in the Spirit. Well, we only got through the first verse today. I was hoping to get through all eight. But, uh, you know, I'm going to quit here. I'd rather you meditate on what the Holy Spirit will do and does, and we'll pick up uh, with some more contrasts next week. There's some beautiful contrasts that 
is laid out in Scripture about these two different lives. And uh, we'll pick up on that next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for each one of these dear brothers and sisters that they would be filled with the Spirit as they empty themselves of self and selfishness. I also pray, dear Father, that each of us would examine ourselves and see where those idols are and those, uh, where we've set our minds on the flesh. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, would we just tear those things down and throw them out in front of the house. Lord, uh, we love you so much and we desire to live this, this righteous life you've called us to. And I pray that you would empower each one of us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.